0: Our New Testament lesson this morning is going to come from 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read verses 12, I'm sorry, verses 9 through 12. And then we'll pull in verse 13 as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter of love. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 9 through 13. I invite you to listen for God's word. If we know only in part, we prophesy only in part. When the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last night I was um, on Facebook talking about inviting folks to church. I always like to do that before I preach. Just, you know, anybody that's around, kind of invite them to come worship with us. And I said, we're going to answer the question tonight, what, what is your purpose? And I think that's a question we all struggle with. I mean, you think back to when you were uh, a, a child. Are you as parents with children or grandchildren or have neighbor kids down the street? And how often have you asked them, what do you want to do when you grow up? Where do you want to school? What do you want to study? What do you want to do? I mean, how many times when you were younger, were you asked that question, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or how many times have you asked other children that you do know, What do you want to do when you grow up? We spend so much of our life when we're younger trying to think about and formulate what it is that we will do as we grow up. And that is a very important question. That determines so much of our life, what we want to do, where we're going to go to school, all these type of things, very important questions. But we find as we grow older that that question does not cease when we become adults. Many of us, most of us, we ask that question quite often. What am I here for? What am I supposed to do with my life? What is my purpose in being here today? Not just being upon God's earth, but being here in the sanctuary. Why am I here? What is the purpose of all of this? And so we think about in life. We all have our great goals, the stuff we want to do, the stuff we want to accomplish, all of these things. It's funny, we just recently here in the church had our graduation ceremony for our weekday ministry. And that's always a, a fun ceremony because, you know, the kids will come down. They'll, they'll have the little robes on and they'll have the, the graduation. And they'll always say, this is so-and-so, the son or daughter of so-and-so. And when they grow up, they want to do whatever. And so I always like hearing what the kids want to do because it kind of lets you know where where the culture is and what kids are wanting to do. And so this year for graduation, we had a lot of cheerleaders and a lot of wizards. Now, I was unaware that was an option because, like, if I knew wizard was an option, that's what I would have gone for, like— I missed the wizard classes at Mississippi College. I just must have missed that major. I must have brushed by it. But I didn't know that was something you can do. Apparently it is. So all the kids, more than one, wanted to be a wizard, which is, there you go. So, um, so what, we wanted? What, do you, what is your purpose? Why are you here? What are you here for? Can't pull a bait and switch on you. I'm not going to answer that question because frankly, I don't really think that's the important question in your life. Of course, your purpose is important. Of course, what you do is important. But I think, I think that's the secondary question. I, I think that's the secondary question. I don't think What you do is the primary question. I think the primary question is this one. Who are you? Because when you know who you are, when you know what your identity is, when you know who you are, that then defines everything else. You can't know your purpose until you know who it is that you are. Are. today paul talks about that i love i love i love i love first corinthians there, that chapter that is so good chapter's so good because i think what we read was my, probably you know first it's hard to pick your favorite part of 1 corinthians 13 because the whole chapter is so amazing but i love what he said we didn't read this part but i love what he says paul says this he says if i surrender my body to the flames but have not love I've accomplished nothing. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a clashing gong or a clanging cymbal. So Paul there is saying, hey, what you do is important. Sure it is. That's important. But what really matters is not what you do, but who you are. Because if you do these noble things, if you give all that you have to the poor, if you do all this stuff, but have not love, then you've missed the point. The who you are defines the what you do. The who you are defines the purpose. Paul here says, he says, now we see through a mirror darkly, but soon we'll see face to face. He says, One day, one day, we will fully know, even as we have been fully known. One day, we're going to fully know God and know his purpose. So who are we? Well, I think we have to go back in the Bible a little bit to figure that out. Dr. Bill Urey says something recently that, that stuck with me. Dr. Urey says this. He says that we start our theological reflection in the wrong place. Okay. Theological reflection is a big fancy word to say how we think about God. He said we often start that in the wrong place. Because we often start our thinking about God in Genesis 3. And Genesis 3 is very important. Genesis 3 is the story of the fall. The story of the serpent and Adam and Eve and the fall into sin. And the corruption that happened after that. We're going to sing love divine. All love's excelling to close the service. Has that great line from Charles Wesley. Take away our bent to sinning. Alpha and Omega B. I love that line. So yes, Rome... uh, uh, Genesis 3 is is big because it shows how sin entered in and sin corrupted and sin distorted. And every one of us is imperfect. Every one of us has brokenness in some way. Every one of us is fallible. Every one of us is human. None of us get it right all the time. We mess up. We fall. We make mistakes. That's part of our human nature. We get things wrong. We are the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We have that distortion within us. It doesn't make you the scum of the earth. It makes you human. We're all imperfect. You're allowed to breathe. You're allowed to make mistakes. Now, don't go do anything dumb. Like I say, don't go lick a nine volt battery. It's gonna hurt, you know? But we're gonna make mistakes. Okay. But that's not where our thinking about God should start. Because the Bible does not start in Genesis 3. The Bible starts in Genesis 1 and 2. What happens in Genesis 1 and 2? Those six days of creation, then the seventh day of rest. And after God makes everything in creation, what does he say? It is good. And what does he say after he creates humanity? He says, it is very good. Good. And scripture says this. Scripture says when God makes humanity, male and female, when he makes them, what does he say? He says, let us make them in our image. Our image. Who we are. Our identity is this, that we are made in the image of God. Every one of us, we are made in that image of God. Your worth, your worth does not come from your work. Your worth does not come from your status. Your worth does not come from your possessions. Your worth does not come from the things you own. Your worth does not come from your power. Your worth doesn't come from any of these things. That is not where your identity is found. That is not where your worth is found. your worth is found in none of these earthly things. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just not saying they define you. I'm not saying that they are where your worth is. Your worth is found in this. You are made in the divine image. You are made in the image of God and nothing can take that away. Yes, we're imperfect, but we are all made in God's image. That is foundational. That defines everything. That is where your worth is. There's one of my professors used to always say, therein lies the rub because guess what if I'm made in God's image means they are too we've all got a them every one of us we've got a them Lord I know I'm imperfect but I'm better than them Lord, I know I get it wrong. I know I messed up. But I'm better than them. We've all got a them, y'all. No matter who we are, no matter what we believe, we've all got a them. And if I'm made in God's image and you're made in God's image, they are too. And the Bible says, For God so loved the world that so God so loved me, you, and them that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. If there's anything our world and our culture have forgotten, it is that truth. They are made in the image of God as well. C.S. Lewis says, you will never meet a mere mortal. Everyone you ever meet is a supernatural being, and they will live for eternity. Eternity with God or apart from God, but everyone will live for eternity. They are made in God's image too, and we have forgotten that. Our culture, our world has forgotten the worth in them. We forget the worth in ourselves. (laughs) That's easy to do. We forget the worth in ourselves, and then if I don't feel the worth of God in me, I have a tough time finding it in them. You are made in God's image. Praise the Lord. So are they. It doesn't mean we got to like them. doesn't mean we got to agree with them. But we got to know that. we got to know that. What does it mean to be made the image of God? Goodness, that's a big church statement. What does that even mean? Well, theologians have debated that concept for centuries, and I'm not not—I'm not smart enough to explain to you what that means. But I will tell you, I think that Genesis passage I referenced earlier gives us a little insight. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says that God says, let us make them in our image. It says, male and female, he made them in his image. Let us make them in our image. As Christians, we hold to that being the Trinity. That we are made in the image of a God that is three in one. Today is a Sunday called Trinity Sunday. A Sunday, the Sunday after Pentecost is the Sunday that is a day set aside to talk about and remember the importance of the Trinity. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I understand the Trinity. I'm not going to tell you I understand all of it. I'm not. In fact, one of my favorite preacher jokes ever is a preacher one Sunday decided he was going to explain the Trinity to his people. So he worked all week working on this great treatise of a sermon. On the Trinity, he was going to explain the Trinity to his people. So he got in the sermon, the pulpit Sunday, and preached it. And he just knew—boy, he knew—he hit a home run. He knew he nailed it. He was so proud of himself. Sitting in the back of the church, shaking hands, and this lady came up to him and said, "Preacher," said, "I just want you to know I really enjoyed your sermon today." Said, "Oh, really? Thank you." His head started swelling. Said, "Um, would you mind telling me what you enjoyed most about my sermon?" Said, "Oh," she said, "Sure." Said, "I used to always feel bad that I didn't understand the Trinity." But after your sermon today, I realize you don't either. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you that I understand all the Trinity, but I will say this. Historically in the life of the church, there have been two issues that have defined what we consider Orthodox, Orthodox theology. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I understand them completely. We've always put forth the life, the death, the physical resurrection of Christ, his ascension and his return, that the resurrection of Christ, we are an Easter people. It's all about Jesus. Within that, the Trinity. I'm not going to tell you that I understand the Trinity, but you go back to the earliest days of the church. That was it. The triune faith, the God that is three in one. What does that mean? I, like I said, I don't understand the depths. I, I do not fully know. One day we will all fully know, even as we have been fully known. But I know that the Trinity at its heart is about the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The Trinity at its very heart is about the relationship that each person has for the other within it. The love that the Father has for the Son, has for the Spirit, has for the Father. That's why you often see the Trinity represented as a triangle. The relational nature of each person of the Trinity for the other. So if we're made in the image of God, and that God's very being is Trinity, and the Trinity is relationships, then we're made for relationships. Jesus put it like this You're to love the Lord your God, the law of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. On this hinges the law and the prophets. You are made to love, you were made for relationship with God. In relationship with each other. And if either one of these relationships are disordered, if either one of these relationships are not right, then there's something within us that is missing. If I'm not loving God fully, I can't love you fully. And if I'm not loving you fully, then I can't love my God fully. Because James said, how can you say you love God who is unseen, yet you hate your neighbor who is seen? We got to love God and love our neighbor. That's the totality of the Christian life. That's what we're called to do. And that's hard. Because some folk are hard to love. And that's why it takes Jesus. Because only his grace through us can do that. To love others as we have been called to love. I read an article the other day. It said, we are now the loneliest people To have ever lived. That loneliness is one of the defining emotions that everyone feels nowadays. Now, it's interesting. We're always connected, aren't we? We always got our phones. We can always text or Facebook or whatever. But what we're finding out through studies is that the more connected we are, the lonelier we are. Because we don't have those who really know us. We don't have those who know the depth of our hearts and our souls. Who do you have in your life that you can truly talk to? That you can truly share your fears, your weaknesses, your doubts without judgment. And know that they love you. Who prays for you? And who do you pray for? We don't just need... To know each other. But we need to be like what Paul said. We need to fully know each other even as we have been fully known. That's what love calls us to. To love each other. To pray for each other. To care for each other. To rejoice with each other. To lift each other up when we're sad. To carry each other when we're tired. To be present with each other. That's what we're made for. We're made in the image of a God who loves us. Which means we've got to love each other. Remember who you are. Because frankly, if you don't know who you are, what you do is not really going to matter. But if you know who you are, then all that you do, will be defined by God's goodness and God's love. Today, know who you are. You are made in the image of the divine God who loves you and calls us to love him and to love each other. May that be our life. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your gift of love mercy and grace. Help us, O God, to love each other as you have loved us and to live in the power of your grace each day. We love you so much. We ask in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.